Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Hello and welcome to Debating Metal, the podcast where we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. Today it's episode 50, and today we're talking about reunion albums. We'll be discussing the bands that reunited and released new albums after the reunion. Every band has its ups and downs. Brothers fight, bands break up, and sometimes they get back together. And today we'll be talking about some of the biggest names in hard rock and heavy metal, such as Aerosmith, Motley Crue, Kiss, and Judas Priest, who did just that. Why did they break up, and what got them back together? After the debate, we'll give you our big four reunion albums, so stick around until the end of the episode to hear what we chose. Also, be sure to download our last episode and listen to what our big four worst albums by the big four of thrash were. But don't stop there. Last episode was the last part of a three-parter, so make sure to catch our series on thrash metal. And as always, we'll have Rusty Metal and Freshly Forged picks for you. Rusty Metal is where I take a look into the archives and pick out an album I think is worth giving another listen to. And Freshly Forged is where Chris offers his recommendation on a new release he thinks is worth giving a listen to. <laughs> What it all comes down to is this. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, be sure to click the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast platform and get our latest episode delivered to your preferred device every Friday. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. And while you're on our social media, be sure to check out Kenneth Dean with Rusty Metal Plus, where he gives you more details about his Rusty Metal pick. So speaking of, what's your pick this week? All right, this week we've got a familiar face, but not such a familiar release. Um, I'm talking about Ozzy Osbourne, and in 1980 he released a live EP, and the live EP had one brand new song and two songs that people were familiar with. It was called The Live EP. It was supposed to be a single for Goodbye to Romance, but at the last minute, the record company called and said, no, we want you to do a new song. So record a new song, and we'll put it out as a single. So the band scurried into the studio. They picked out a song that they had been jamming on, and that song ended up being a song called You Said It All. Uh, It was a demo that ended up being recorded by um, the band, and Lee Kerslake actually, actually did the vocals on it because Ozzy was too drunk to get up and record. <laughs> uh, so the, the single itself had You Set It All on one side, and on the B side it had Suicide Solution and Mr. Crowley live versions. All three versions were recorded uh, during a show on October 2nd, 1980 in Southampton, England. The record company was Jet Records, and so that was owned by uh, Sharon Osborne, so she was Sharon Arden at the time. It was owned by her dad, Don Arden, and he was the the head of the record company, and he wanted a, a new single from Ozzy. So the the real cool story about this live EP was that I found it probably a year after it came out in 1981 or so, or 82 maybe, and 
I thought it was the coolest thing because I'm like, oh, cool. This, you know, live EP, Ozzy, you know, it's got Randy on guitar. And so I was like super excited to buy it. Years later, um, I was working at the, the record store in Miami and I was, um, I became friends with one of the, the, the employees and his name was Kevin. And he had been in the business for a while, but he wasn't a record store guy. He had been a musician and, and worked for a record company and management company, all this stuff. And he had a ton of records. So one day I went to his house and he, uh, he was showing me his collection and I'm flipping through the collection. I found a picture disc version of this live EP. And I said, hey man, can I have this? Or, or not even can I have this? How much do you want for this? Because I was willing to give him money and I was probably willing to go up to 50 bucks or something like that, even though it's only three songs, but it was a picture disc. Something that had been out of print at that point now for probably over 15 years. And... Uh, he's like, no, 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 man, I'm keeping it. I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, what am I going to do? I can't force the guy to do anything. I don't know what it was, if it was my birthday or an anniversary at the store, but he, uh, he came in one day and he says, here, man, this is for you. And he gave me the picture disc. So I thought that was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was real neat. And then, um, I got a, uh, a message from someone I used to work with several years back that he unfortunately had passed away. So, uh, I really did appreciate that that gift and at the time. So, uh, if you're listening, Kevin, thank you very much. So anyway, that was uh, it. Came out like I said in 1980. It's a really cool EP. It's got some killer versions of Suicide Solution and Mr. Crowley on it. So if you ever get a chance, actually, you will get a chance because on the 40th anniversary edition of Blizzard of Oz, those three songs were released on as bonus tracks on the uh, on the CD release. So pick it up if you get a chance. You'll you'll enjoy those songs. Very, very cool. Uh, and I've heard all those songs. They're awesome. So um, definitely, definitely recommend that. All right. So for my Freshly Forged this week, I don't have a ton of information on this, but I listened to the album and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it's going to strike a chord with you, I know, because... This is Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra, oh. uh, Sounds of the Apocalypse. Now, Jason Beeler was the, the second singer and backup singer originally, uh, as well as guitarist and songwriter for Saigon Kick, uh, who, whom we've talked about before. Uh, and I know you're, you're a huge fan of them. You're actually the one who introduced me to them. And I saw them on the list this week, or I saw him specifically, and I thought well, maybe I should at least give this a try. And I was pleasantly surprised. Um, the album has a very Saigon kick feel to it, which is not surprising considering that he was the main songwriter and creator of the band. Um, but there's more to it. I mean, there's there's a lot of layers, a lot of v- variation in the style of music. He actually has David Ellefson and Bumblefoot appear on a couple tracks. Um, this is his third solo album, and it's it's probably going to be a pretty underrated one, but I really enjoyed it. Um, some of the, the tracks that stood out to me were Anthem for Losers, and <laughs> there was one from uh, with... Um, uh, David Ellison on it called Bring Out Your Dead, which was really cool. So be sure to check that out. It's a it's a really good release. I am totally gonna check that out tomorrow morning when I go when I go to work. That is super cool. I hadn't heard what anything that Jason had done since Saigon Kick kind of split up back in the in the nineties. So that'll be pretty cool to listen to. Oh for sure. And and it is available on uh YouTube music for sure. So I'm sure I'm assuming it's available on some of the other pl- platforms as well. Excellent. All right. I'm definitely going to check that out. 
All right, so today's topic is reunion albums. And the basis for the reunion albums has to be like this. It's basically one form or another of the original band, or at least, let's say, three quarters of them. So if like the bass player didn't come back, but you got the, the main the singer and the, the guitar player and the drummer or the main songwriters, that's the, 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 the important part. So um, there's going to be a few bands here that are not 100% original, but it is going to be as close to po- as close as possible to the original band in most cases, or at least the classic lineup as they consider it in many many cases. So for me, I'm going to start off with Deep Purple and Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers was their 1984 album that came out on Polygram Records. This album contained two big hits for them at the time. So it was Perfect Strangers and Knocking at Your Back Door. And so if everybody, obviously everyone knows who Deep Purple is, they're still around today. That lineup, they reunited, was what you call, they call the classic lineup, which was the Mark II lineup. That included Ian Gillen on vocals, Richie Blackmore on guitar, Roger Glover on bass, Ian Pace on drums, and John Lord on keyboards. Um, they had a Mark III and they had a Mark IV lineup. And eventually, I think it was Mark IV that ended up... Um, disbanding uh, when basically no one wanted to hear from Deep Purple anymore and there was a lot of internal strife with the with the group so they broke up it was probably I think it was uh see I think they broke up in 1978 or 77 it was so it, it took a while you know about six or seven years before the Mark II lineup started talking to each other again and there was a lot of friction between Richie and, and Ian Gillen so they finally put their differences aside and they said, let's go ahead and make an album. And so that ended up being the demise of rainbow back in 84. They had just released, uh, bent out of shape that album and they toured on it. And then eventually Richie just went back to deep purple at this point and they created perfect strangers, which I think is an awesome album. I mean, if you like deep purple, it's really cool. The tour that followed after that was hugely successful, and the band remained together um, basically to this day, but it's it's a different form. I mean, it's like Mark Six or something like that by this time because they had in and out. You know, Richie Blackmore's gone. Jolyn, Ian Gillen quit, and Jolyn Turner came, came in, and then Ian Gillen came back. Richie left, and Steve Morse is the current guitar player, and he's been out. He's been there for 25 years, I think, now. Sadly, John Lord passed away a few years ago, and Don Airy of Ozzy Osbourne fame took his place. So, yeah, they're still kicking after all this time. So, I think it's a great album. Have you listened to the album at all? I have. Yeah, it's 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 definitely one of the better ones as far as a a reunion goes. And I, you know, we've talked about in the past some of the the changes with the band. Obviously. We both like the David Coverdale era of the band. Uh, the the Lynn Turner album feels very odd. It almost feels like like Rainbow, um, but this was a very nice return to form, and uh, it, it's really led to a much larger career for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean this this lineup, the Mark II lineup, recorded two albums: uh, Perfect Strangers and uh, House of Blue Light, and they did those two albums. They were together for five years before things went sour again. And there you have it. So, but yeah, I mean, the band's still around. So if, if there's a chance to get it, you, you'll still hear Ian Gillen kicking the vocals. You still got Ian Pace on drums and 
Um, you still got Roger Glover on base, so you, you got three out of the five main guys. So, and Steve Morse is a hell of a guitar player. So, and we all know Don Airy. Yeah, it's it's it definitely still feels like. I mean, with their new album that just came out, it still feels like uh, Deep Purple. It doesn't feel like you know some other band just playing Deep Purple music. Right. Exactly. And 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 the albums that they keep putting out, I mean, they're just all deep purple music and it's really cool i mean it's still putting out new music every three or four years or so so that's pretty awesome for sure all right so what is your reunion album all right so this is actually kind of a series but it's all related to the same band all right so in 1998 after many years black sabbath decided to finally reunite with ozzy osbourne Uh, and that would be the original lineup of ozzy tony iomi geezer butler and bill ward uh, so basically, from 1968 to 1979, they had they had no lineup changes other than a brief stint where Ozzy left the band in 1977. Um, but then from then on, they went through numerous numerous lineup changes, and finally, at this point, 20 years later, they're finally getting back together with the initial lineup. Um, you know, this kind of followed a 1997 reunion at Ozfest. Uh, where, unfortunately, Bill Ward was not part of those shows. Instead, his parts were played by Mike Borden. Um, But this was the first release since 1978's Never Say Die with that lineup. Uh, The band recorded two new songs, Psycho Man and Selling My Soul, although Bill Ward only appeared on Psycho Man, and on Selling My Soul they had a drum machine. Um, The reunion would continue until 2006 when the band kind of reformed as heaven and hell due to a hiatus that they went on. Um, so in 2007, they released the Dio years reforming with Ro- uh, Ronnie James Dio initially with Bill Ward. And then later he would be replaced by Vinnie Avesey. Uh The reunion was of the lineup from the 1979 through 1982 version of the band and again, in 1992, they formed again to do a Dehumanizer, uh, but that was a very brief, uh, almost viewed as a mistake by the band. Um, they recorded three new songs with uh, Dio and Vinny uh, Apathy, and the band would uh, kind of decide to go their separate ways. However, just a couple years later, they would reform as Heaven and Hell officially, and they would start touring... Um, and and they did a uh, one last album, which was called The Devil You Know. It ended up winning Best Album at the 2010 Metal Hammer Awards, uh, or Metal, sorry, at the 2010 Metal Hammer Golden God Awards. And unfortunately, the band would, would break up in 2010 due to the, the passing of Ronnie James Dio from stomach cancer. Everything went down kind of really fast, and it just... It, it was almost like a side swipe because everything was going so well. There had always been turmoil in that lineup of the band. Uh, they initially broke up uh, because of some, some differing opinions on the way things should be recorded for a live album, some other issues on the side. And for things to be going so well, it was just very heartbreaking. And for, for such a guy who had an impression across the entire industry to pass like that, it was just... You know, very sad. Um, highlights on the album, though, Bible Black. I mean, it's a great song. Um, 
the album as a whole is just really good, really enjoyable. And I was glad that at least we got one last, you know, stint of that band before he passed. I like Eating the Cannibals on that album. That's a really yeah, cool song. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. And then finally, Black Sabbath would release one last album in 2013 with the album 13. Um, an oddly named album because it's not their 13th album or related to the, the year 2013 but pressure from the studio to release 13 songs on the album, which they didn't even do. So uh, a very, very oddly named album and kind of an odd one in general. Uh, it was the band's first official album since 1995 which with Forbidden and the first with Ozzy to be on vocals since 1978's Never Say Die, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Brad Wilk would perform drums due to Bill Ward claiming that they couldn't come to terms. He wasn't getting enough money, etc. And uh, basically, it started in 2001. It was delayed over 10 years due to the hiatus, Ozzy wanting to work on his solo stuff, etc. And finally, the album came out. And uh, to me, it's kind of a lackluster album. I think it was pretty well-reviewed overall, but reviews don't tell at all. And... To me, I just couldn't find a lot that I really, truly enjoyed. It was kind of a, a a downside for you know waiting that long to hear them come back together. Uh, however, I would say a highlight on that particular album was "God Is Dead." It's it's probably the standout track. I think most people would know that one. Um, but they would continue on until just recently when they decided to finally call it quits. Uh, but there's rumors that they may, you know, rejoin for the Olympics or something along those lines. But members of the band have said, no, we're we're done. But you never say never. Never say never die. Never say die. <laughs> um, that, the album, it, it, was, it was not that great. I actually was listening to uh, like Sirius XM radio one day when I still had a subscription and the song Live Forever came on, and I thought that was a pretty cool song. So it did have two good, two decent songs. So Live Forever and God is Dead. And God is Dead is just a very slow, plodding track. So I actually think Live Forever is a better song. But that's. I'll have to check it out again. It's been a little while since I've, I've really, really listened to it. I listened mm-hmm. to a few tracks today just to kind of remind myself, but I, I don't believe that was one of them. Yeah. And, and the unfortunate part, I, I personally think. Had Dio continued to live and, and not get sick, I don't think they reunite with Ozzy unless, you know, they decided to stop playing with Dio because I think they were having more fun doing that than they were with Ozzy. Yeah, it was honestly, it was kind of a catalyst for it. Uh, I think all the band kind of took it hard, obviously, because right, exactly. they were very close. Um, and that really was a turning point for everyone, including Ozzy, that said, like, let's do this one more time before before time is up. Exactly. It's unfortunate they weren't able to come to terms with, with Bill Ward. You know, and that he says it was it was the money, but I and it probably was. But in many cases, I mean they were claiming that he couldn't keep up. So mm-hmm. who's to say? But you know, I, I kind of I believe the, the the truth is in the middle somewhere that he probably couldn't keep up and they probably weren't giving enough money. So you know, there you have it. All right, cool. Well, um, the next album that we're going to talk about is uh, from a band that we don't give a lot of love to on the show, and there's not a lot of reasons as to why, but 
Uh, hopefully, we can try to incorporate them a little bit more. And that's Aerosmith and their reunion album, Done With Mirrors, that came out in 1985. So, as a whole, the best song on the album is the first song on the album called Let the Music Do the Talking. The rest of the album is what you would expect from Aerosmith, but they were still struggling with drug addiction, even though they they tried to get off of it, but they were still struggling with it. And they they were just still struggling to come up with a good riff and a good hook and and, and whatever and put it all together. So they, they weren't getting that next level kind of songwriting going. And so much so that Let the Music Do the Talking is not even an Aerosmith song. It's a Joe Perry solo song that uh, Joe Perry had recorded, you know, while he was away from the band. And Stephen thought it was pretty good. And he he gave his spin on the vocals. And it's a pretty cool song. I like the song personally. But the rest of the album kind of suffers. It's a little lackluster. And it kind of just almost feels like it's going through the motions. But the big thing about it was that it got the band back together. And so in 1986, Aerosmith collaborated with Run DMC, or specifically Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. They collaborated with Run DMC on, on a cover of Walk This Way. That gave them some credibility on MTV, which then it got the ball rolling, but their, their manager, uh, I believe his name was Tom Con- uh, no, Tim Collins, not Tom Collins, Tim <laughs> Collins. <laughs> and he said to him, he goes, look, I can make you guys the biggest band in the world, but Steven, you need to go to rehab. And so they convinced Steven to go to rehab. The rest of the band at the same time ended up going to rehab over the next two years. And once they regained their sobriety, or at least temporarily, I guess, because I don't know if they, they didn't always stay on the wagon, they actually recorded Permanent Vacation. They brought in Desmond Child to help with some songwriting, uh, Jim Valance to help with some songwriting, and they put out their biggest album to date at that point. It went on to sell 5 million copies, and Aerosmith is together to this day. So that's that's one of those really feel-good stories about a band that, that everything came crashing down. They The two biggest names in the band broke up. They hated each other. They got back together. They made it work. And, and they, they were huge in in basically the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, huge. Yeah. I mean, the whole situation changed for them because it really it breathed brand new life into the band. Uh, kind of starting with, I would say, that their appearance in Wayne's World, too. Like around that time where they, they had really just blown up. You know, that that that's a big thing to to go from a band that was kind of floundering and dealing with uh, personal problems to, you know, appearing on the big screen as as a major cameo in a movie. Um, But not only that, just like really getting back on track and releasing great music again. And in the 90s and, and even the 2000s, they they had a huge resurgence. I mean when they had uh what's that what's that movie uh armageddon when they had that movie oh, yeah. where they they did the soundtrack that was huge oh yeah so, with the song don't want to miss a thing mm-hmm. yeah that was huge turnaround song. yeah cool so what do you got all right so going from a great story like that to the following one <laughs> <laughs> uh we're going to talk about uh kiss with their release of psycho circus all right so kiss is 
Ki- sorry. So Kiss's initial lineup would last from 1973 to 1980 when Peter Chris left the band, followed by Ace Frehley in 1982. Uh, the unfortunately, uh, they went through a lot of changes. There were some big ups and downs. Uh, there was there was a lot of good albums. I would say uh, Creatures of the Night, Revenge were both really good, uh, but they decided. You know, when they in the sorry, they decided in the in the late 90s to to kind of go into the grunge movement. And almost luckily, they decided to do this reunion instead. They did a, a MTV unplugged event in 1995, which kind of changed everything. It was so popular. It was so big. And it was a small reunion with Peter Chris and, and Ace Frehley. And it opened up this this new experience like they 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 realized that they could really cash in on this and that's all about the money yeah and kiss went from being a band with recognizable uh, or recognizability and and history to being a phenomenon and even though this isn't a great album this was monumental for their career uh, so, so basically this was their, their 18th album. Uh, they went on a 1996, 1997 reunion tour, and that really prompted them to put out an album. Uh, they reunited with, with Peter Christian Ace Freely, as I said, but unfortunately they didn't really take their input into account, I, whether it just wasn't very good or whether they had just been burned and didn't really feel like it or, Whatever the circumstances were, they, they they only actually appeared on a couple tracks on the entire album. It was a very manufactured album in that way. And and when I say that, what I mean is, listen to the tracks. They're all anthems. They're all, you know, we're back together. We stand for this. We're united. Um, they're all tracks that the audience can get on board with because they were going back into makeup going back into the spectacle of it and they knew what they had on their hands with that with that unplugged event so to me this was really just a cash in and it worked so i can't fault them whatsoever for that it gave the fans exactly what they wanted to see the original band back together i don't think that's something we'll ever see again so if you got to, to be part of this event uh, the, the, the next few years from 1997 to 2000, then that's, that's awesome. But, but uh, this was kind of a one-of-a-kind thing, and it really brought them back into the forefront. I got to see them on the reunion tour, uh, which was cool. And then I got to see them on the uh, retirement tour, which was cool. <laughs> um. <laughs> And it's it's unfortunate. Uh, the album, I mean, I'm a Kiss fan. My 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 bottom line is the album's terrible. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull any punches with it. Um, I'm pretty sure that Gene and Paul would agree as a whole. I mean, they still play Psycho Circus. That's a decent song, um, the best song in the album. They use it as their show opener now. But quite honestly. Um, as, as a whole, it, it's terrible. And, and the fact that they didn't want to use Peter Chris or Ace Frehley's ideas, um, I can understand why. Because Peter Chris is not uh, is not a rock and roller anymore. I mean, he was always into R&B and, 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 and jazz and stuff like that. 
and as evidenced by his 1978 solo album. Um, but you know, he didn't have the chops and that was the bottom line. Ace Freely, a different story. He still had some decent songwriting. He did. He does still release some good albums. I think his issue is mostly about, you know, financial and, you know, and how much money he can get so he can get his next, next, you know, drug addiction going. But that was at the time, you know, he's been clean since, you know, like the last 15 years or so. So that that's good. But in the case of Kiss, they they were just done with it and the album showed that they were it just wasn't going to be a formidable thing to stay together so oh for sure uh but they got what they wanted out of it there's no denying they definitely got what they wanted i mean it was huge i was part of that whole thing i mean i remember going to the kiss conventions that they put on you know they had a tribute band playing in makeup and they came out acoustically at the end of the show so when when the New York show got up and they, they, they said, Oh, you know, MTV wants to put them on. They, they got Peter and Ace out there and it was great. It was the same show. Like, like what you saw on unplugged was what I saw, you know, five feet in front of me. I mean, it was a very small room uh, that I got to see them in and it was awesome. I mean, you're literally just think about one of those like convention rooms that, 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 you know, where they put those little folding dividers to separate one side from the other that's how small the place was and they're like hey what do you want to hear and people are screaming stuff out i mean they had a preset set list but they were trying to make it seem like you know <laughs> you, you i got, heard that guy say something exactly you know like, you know <laughs> huh? what do you want to hear oh, i want to hear rock and roll all night okay well that's later on you know but they, and they, they played it and it was cool yeah. and you just as soon as you saw mtv and and peter and ace showed up you knew there was something going on and then the day that they reunited, I think it was on some sort of MTV awards and Tupac introduced them. It was, it was all on from there at that point. Yep. So it was pretty cool. Um, and you know, they're on their retirement, their second retirement tour now, you know, so the end of the road tour is what they call it. So, well, so, so one thing I'd like to note is that Basically, this was such a big thing that really reignited their career. At the same time, it almost ended it due to the issues with Peter and Ace. And they had kind of lost their their interest in doing it anymore until things were kind of reignited by the, the introduction of, of Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, Eric Singer back into the band. So it, it kind of turned things around, allowed them to have some, you know, quite the longevity and as you mentioned, Psycho Circus, I would say, is definitely the highlight on the album, as well as the track Into the Void by uh, Ace Frehley. I think that was a pretty good one as well. Yeah, that one's not a bad song. All right, so what you got? All right, so I, you know, a few weeks ago, we did a series called The Life and Death of Glam Metal, and these three bands were mentioned during that time. And uh, that, that was episode 45 and 46, literally just a few weeks ago. Um, I'm going to talk about three, uh, f- yeah, three, uh, four bands, excuse me. I'm going to talk about Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, Rat, and Poison. Um, all around the same time, they all kind of, you know, self-combusted and then came back together. So I'm going to try and go through this pre- pretty quickly um, because there's no need to spend a lot of time on each of these bands because we all kind of know about them. And we just recently spoke about them. But um, this is important because they did, you know, break up and reunite. Quiet Riot, um, the classic lineup of the mental health lineup that had Kevin Dubrow, Carlos Cavasso, Frankie Benali, and Rudy Sarzo. 
they were together for two albums and they broke up. Well, Rudy Sarzo left and ended up joining Whitesnake in the middle 80s. And at that time, Kevin Dubrow brought in an, an old friend of theirs, Chuck Wright. I believe Chuck Wright was part of the one of the first waves of Quiet Riot, if you know, temporarily, but I don't think he recorded anything with them. So it's one of those things he knew Chuck for a long time. So he came in as the bass player. They came out with QR3. And then Kevin Dubrow gets himself fired for saying stupid stuff. And they break up. And the band basically dissolves. But they then get back together. But they don't come back with Kevin. They come back with Paul Shortino, who was the singer of Rough Cut. And this was in 1989. Well, actually, yeah, 1989. Then basically because that dissolved completely it went nowhere even though the album wasn't that good paul shortino great voice i love his voice but just it just wasn't cutting it it wasn't quite right it should have been something else they really shouldn't have called it quite right kevin dubrow decides to reform or actually kevin dubrow decides to make another band and he has bobby rondinelli and a couple of other players um playing with him and he it the band's called heat and then later that year, he changes the name back to Quiet Riot. Bobby Rondinelli, the drummer, is still with him. I believe he ends up getting, uh, I forgot what bass player he had, but then Carlos Cavasso came back. So Kevin and Carlos, uh, you know, got friendly again, and they, they reunited, and they said, okay, we're going to call ourselves Quiet Riot. They then recorded the album Terrified, in the middle of Terrified, Bobby Rondinelli left, and they brought back Frankie Benali. So now you have three-fourths of your mental health lineup back together again. They, re- they finish recording Terrified. They release it. It is not a good album. Uh, so much so that it's not even available on Spotify. You could probably get it on YouTube. You could probably you know buy uh, some import copy on Amazon. It's not that great. Um, then they, they, they stay together. And the bass player ends up leaving, and they bring back Chuck Wright. So now they have the QR3 lineup together, and they record the album down to the bone. And that album probably was worse than Terrified. <laughs> it, it's it's just it it was just bad. And so basically, they stay together for another couple of years, and then Chuck Wright leaves, and Rudy Sarza comes back. So now you have the classic lineup together. Um, that the, the, the metal health lineup uh, from 1997 on to 2003 when they basically split up and that was it. The band literally dissolved until a few years later. I think it was 2010 they got back together, something like that. I, I don't know the exact dates because I really didn't go on with the story because they dissolved and that was it. And they reunited again, but they didn't bring back Carlos and they didn't bring back Rudy. It was just Frankie and Kevin. They, brought back the name they've released a series of not so great rock and roll albums there you go unfortunately sadly frankie and kevin have passed away since then and so quiet riot to this day still continues on but it's there's no original members which is just kind of weird to me you know so um but they did you know they had that phase where they were the one of the biggest bands in the world so there's that the next glam band I'm going to talk about is Motley Crue. They came out with, or they they basically, in 
2002, I think, they broke up with Vince Neil. They, they fired Vince, and they wanted to go into a more grungy direction, more alternative hard rock direction. And they picked up John Karabi as their singer. They released the self-titled album Motley Crue in 1994, I believe it was. Um, it didn't do anything. It had one hit single, which was Hooligan's Holiday, which wasn't really a big hit. It had the Motley Crue sound. It just did not have the Motley Crue attitude. It did not have the Motley Crue flair. And it just, to me, it didn't go anywhere. The fans didn't like it as a whole. And so a few years later, they go to record the next album with John Karabi. And there's all sorts of problems. They fired everybody that was in their way. And eventually, they went into the studio to record the album. They fired Bob Rock again. And they brought in a different producer and then they, then John Karabi left because he was like, this is bullshit. And he decided to leave and they got Vince Neil back. They finished recording the album. It was one of the most uninspiring things I've ever heard from Motley Crue. Um, it just, it, it, they're trying to be alternative. They're trying to be grunge. They're trying to hold on to their heyday. The, the producer had no idea what he was doing as, as far as capturing the Motley Crue sound. Um, Tommy Lee is is virtually non-existent as a as a legitimate drummer, and when I when I say that, it's because you know who Tommy Lee is. Everyone knows who Tommy Lee is, and Bob Rock made sure that the Motley Crue sound included Tommy Lee as the drummer, and it was very significant. This guy, I, I think it was Scott Thompson, I think it was again, or or Scott Humphreys, I think it was the the producer's name, did a terrible job at at capturing Tommy Lee, and. Mick Mars didn't have a good time, so the album was just poorly uh, executed, and it shows. The fans didn't like it, and it, that was that. The best song on the album was a cover song of their own song, "Shout Out the Devil," which was a, like a uh, an industrial version to some degree. And that, so if that tells you that's the best song on the album, how good the album is. And I know there's going to be Motley Crue fans out there that disagree with me. I don't care what you think. <laughs> well that would that would also be the last album with Tommy Lee for a few years too. Right. And then the next album they've got Randy Castillo. Is, yeah, Randy Castillo, right? The drummer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then yeah, then Tommy Lee came back for Saints of Los Angeles and it's just they never really I mean Saints of Los Angeles, the song is pretty good. That's like classic Motley Crue right there. But the rest of the album just didn't seem didn't have that hook. So I I kind of view them more of as as a nostalgia act at this point, you know, yeah. everything after Dr. Feelgood, you know, is is kind of just there. Exactly. So the next band in the, in the glam metal scene at this time, this is, you know, we're talking mid-90s here. You know, Generation Swine came out in 97. Rat, another band from L.A., San Diego, that Southern California area, they, they, uh, they're together, you know, through, through a lot. And in 1997, well, well, in a few years earlier, they broke up because essentially everything went south on them. Juan Crozier left, you know, Stephen Pierce, he wanted to do a solo album and all this stuff. And they just went their separate ways. They reunited in 1997 uh, and they decided they wanted to put out, and it, it wasn't even like, 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 I don't know if they were out of ideas or they just didn't want to work hard at, at trying to put something together, but they went into the vaults and they pulled out some songs from their Mickey Rat days, which was the pre, pre, you know, basically the LA club days, their, their pre major label days. And 
they they literally just put the demos out from what I from what I'm understanding, um, and they re-recorded some of the songs. Um, they re they remixed some of the other songs that they had that that were like B side or, or something like that, and they just put out this album called Collage, which is basically just you know as much shit as we can possibly put on an album. We're gonna do that, and here you go. All it was was basically to get their name out there so that they could go back on tour and have a reunion tour and try to make generate money. You know, mm-hmm. their version of reunion tour is playing is playing a big club. You know where you know you got Molly Crew who's playing big arenas. Okay, and so they were together. You know, the, the band that was together. They had a different bass player um, that wasn't even the the second bass player that came in, and and I think Bobby Blotzer wasn't even involved in some of the some of the stuff. So then finally, a couple years later, 1999, they had a legitimate, let's make a brand new record reunion. Um, they put out the album rat self-titled, which is their second self-titled album. The first one was the EP. Now this is, uh, the album, you know, you know was it 17 years later or 18 years, excuse me, 16 years later, that album was okay. But just listening to it today, it, it was just one of these things where this doesn't sound like rat. You know, like where's the where's the hooks from round and round or back for more? You know, none of those hooks were there. It, it just seemed like they were going through the motions. It's not a good record as a whole. You know, it's it's disappointing. You have a band that was huge, and they're just putting out crap just so they could keep their name out there. So and then, yeah, that's unfortunate. Right. I mean, it, we've seen it so many times. Exactly. And then a few years later, they put out another album called um, Infestation. That actually had a really cool single called "Eat Me Alive," and that I would say was like a classic Rat album. But as a whole, I mean, by that point, they they're almost irrelevant. You know, no major label is just kind of like yeah, whatever. So that's where rat ends up and they they stayed they're together to this day they just had have had so many internal band problems warren d martini doesn't want to play guitar you know doesn't want to tour anymore bobby blotzer wants to tour with his own band stephen pierce said no you can't juan crossier said no i own the name i mean it's like everybody's doing their own thing but stephen pierce and juan crossier are together again they have the permission from warren to continue on his rat he doesn't want to so they've got new guitar players they've got a new drummer bobby blotzer is sitting there going what the hell happened <laughs> so there you have that. So lastly, we have Poison, who again around the same time, uh, middle '90s, CC Deville left. Um, I think it was '94, '95, or something like that, um, because the band has constantly and consistently have had band fights from the beginning up until even now, from what I understand. CC Deville had drug addiction problems so finally they said you know what we're done with this he left they bring bring in richie cotson richie cotson comes in does right you know they do one album together he's uh he basically ends up banging ricky rocket's girlfriend or fiance you know they get into a fight and they kick him out they bring in blue sarasano he's in the band for a bit they go and actually record an album and then they can't release the album because the record company wants to hold on to it so now we're talking 1997 again, and uh, at this point, it's like, um, oh, actually, yeah, 1997, 1998, it's like, what's going on here? You know, Poison is is basically, you know, not doing anything. So they the record company releases a Greatest Hits album. Blue Saraceno at this time is still in the band. Once they released the Greatest Hits album, though, 
there's interest again in CC DeVille. Then they get an MTV unplugged invite. So now it's 1998 and the band gets back together with CC DeVille. So Blue Saraceno's out, CC DeVille's back in, and then all of a sudden the record company goes, okay, we're going to go ahead and release the, uh, your new album. So now their new album comes out. It has Blue Saraceno on guitar. CC DeVille's already in the band. It's like, what's going on? They're all discombobulated and, and, and going crazy. They're touring with CC DeVille and they got a new album that comes out with, with Blue Saraceno on it. So to kind of include CC on the new album, they call it Crack a Smile and More. So it's got all the Blue Saraceno stuff, but they release as bonus tracks the MTV Unplugged, which has CC DeVille playing on it. They go back out on tour. They tour some more. Then they go in a few years later. And in 2002, they release their album, Hollyweird, a full-blown reunion album with CC DeVille. Hollyweird's a good song. Rest of the album, typical poison party music, but it's, there's nothing that's going to grab you and sit there and say, that's a really cool song, that's a radio hit, whatever. It's kind of generic poison. That is the glam metal scene at this point in in the late 90s, early 2000s. They're just, uh, it, to me, I, I, I call it a clusterfuck of stupidity because they all broke up and all got back together because they all thought they could get you know a, a, a million dollars out of it just so that they can end up putting out shitty music. But <laughs> in the end, <laughs> Poison is still together. They actually have toured and have been successful because they're basically a nostalgia act playing on their old songs. I mean, they've got three albums of good music. They're playing on it and doing well. They, they I mean, I think their last big tours with Def Leppard. Um, so uh, that was like, like three or four years ago. And I, th- they've they've kind of embraced that nostalgia act, right? And they were supposed to do the the Molly Crew reunion tour, right? It was, uh, yes, they were supposed to be on. Right, that. So it was Poison, Motley Crew, and who was the other band? I know Joan Jett. Was it just those three? I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I, I I read something about it today, but um, yeah. So it was Poison and Motley Crew was supposed to be the big big summer tour, like the, the stadium tour, last the summer of COVID. But there was the summer of COVID so there was nothing that went down whatsoever (laughs) so they're hoping to do it this year but we'll see what happens yeah well hopefully (laughs) hopefully we get to see some concerts this year oh I know I hope so all right let's move on all right so after all that indecision and craziness (laughs) of those bands uh, we move on to one that's much more decisive from uh, a different portion of the world uh, from Denmark right yeah Denmark they're Danish. All right. So from Denmark, we have Merciful Fate. Uh, so the the original lineup lasted from 1981 to 1985. They put out two amazing albums, Melissa and Don't Break the Oath. Um, but unfortunately, in 1985, the band started kind of arguing about the direction they wanted to take things. And uh, Sherman, uh, the guitarist, wanted to go into more commercial sound. But uh, King Diamond wasn't having any of it. And he said, absolutely not. We're going to dissolve the band. And that was it. They they broke up. They moved on. King Diamond went on to have a really successful solo career. And then around 1993, the record company started putting out uh, some, some greatest hit stuff, started talking to the band. Uh, they reconciled, got back together, put out uh, In the Shadows in 1993. And that was that was enough for them. They were they were fine with it. They were happy with what they're doing. Put out five great albums, 
uh, ending in 1999 when they they went on hiatus again and uh, and King Diamond went back to his solo career. And then they just recently decided, you know, after several brief reunions where they just kind of played their older music, but they decided to actually go on full time reunion mode, put out a new album. And unfortunately, uh, we had the situation that we're in now. Uh, But going back into 1993's In the Shadows, it's a great album. Uh, it is such a return to form. Uh, I was I was really happy with it. The, the the thing that's a little bit different than those first two albums is that King sings much more often in the falsetto voice, uh, which would change in the next couple albums. He would actually go back into more of the 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 variation and the growling that he would do a little bit, where he would he would go from high to low, you know, really showcasing his range. Um, but on this particular album, it was a little bit more of the singing that you would hear in the King Diamond albums. So, uh, very good album. Uh, I would say the highlights were Egypt, The Bell Witch, The Old Oak, and Is That You, Melissa, which harkens back to the first album, Melissa. Um, and one note is that it is the full original band except for Jim, uh, drummer Kim Ruz. He was the only one who didn't return for the, their reunion. I, I can't remember why Kim didn't come back. Um, but anyway, uh, it was a it was a very good album. I liked it. Um, I mean, just to just to know that they were back, it was really cool because I had been such a fan of theirs in the early '80s, and then you know became a fan of King Diamond in that middle middle to late '80s period. Um, so to know that they were back full blown, it was pretty cool. I liked the album a lot. Yeah, I mean, for a band that is so um, you know named as an inspiration for for so many bands of the genres that we love uh it's very cool for them to have still a presence to this day you know they know what they want they know when they want to tour how they want to do it and and i admire them for that that uh you know that stick to itiveness to it you know like they they know what they want what i like about this reunion that they're doing now it's it's gonna have um King Diamond and Hank Sherman, which they were the ones that had the biggest falling out at the beginning, um, and they they're back together again. So what I what I'm sad about with this latest reunion is that you know um, Michael Denner's not going to be part of it, which is interesting because uh, he says he he wants to be, but they just did not put it out there. So there was a falling out, I guess, between King and him because he had actually gone with King Diamond when King went solo. He was with King for a few years, so it's it's pretty interesting that he's not going to be part of this, the the reunion. Um, Joey Vera is supposed to be playing bass for this reunion. I don't know if that's going to continue to be that way because of of how things have had to be rescheduled, and the reason why Timmy Hansen um, was not part of the reunion or not going to be part of the reunion was that at the time he was sick and recovering from cancer. And unfortunately, just a few months after the announcement, he did pass away from cancer. So, and no one knows where Kim Rose is at to this day. So, <laughs> so one th- interesting thing to note though, is that even though it's not Michael Denner appearing on this, this reunion, uh, it is Mike Weed who appeared on dead again and nine, um, as well as Bjarn T. Holm, who was not the original drummer, as we said, but he did appear on the last three albums, Into the Unknown, Dead Again, and Nine as well. So it is still members of the band from th- throughout their history that are reuniting in that way. Yep, actually. So I, I look forward to it. I hope they, they, they do a small 
tour of America because I would love to go see that. Oh, for sure. All right. So that brings us to uh, the next band that we're going to talk about. And that band would be Big Four alumni Anthrax uh, with their reunion album, Worship Music. That came out in 2011. So what led to Worship Music? Man, there's a whole story behind it. We're not going to go over everything, but essentially in a nutshell, Anthrax records We Come For You All. They have a successful tour. They go back in the studio. They do a covers album of their of, of of Joey music with John singing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, management says, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea to have an anniversary tour with Joey? They get Joey. They basically, essentially, they fire John. I mean, that's what it is in a nutshell. And they have a successful tour. They have, you know, the entire band gets reunited. Dan Spitz, the classic lineup. They go out on tour. They release the Alive 2 album. So that's a paying homage to Kiss uh, Alive 2 themselves. So that's a reunion album, live album with the original classic lineup. Not original, but the classic lineup with Danny Spitz on guitar, Frankie Bello on bass, and um, Charlie and Scott and, and Joey. Afterward, they decide they want to go on as a band, and Joey says, no, I don't want to do it. So I don't know if he couldn't come to terms financially or what the deal was. He leaves. They ask John back to do some dates that they had committed to. He says, okay. They ask him to rejoin the band. He says, no. They hire Dan Nelson. They fire Dan Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) And they decide it's time, you know, while they were, while they had Dan Dan Nelson in the band as a singer, they were going to record a new album. They recorded songs. Dan Nelson gets fired. They rehired Joey. They re-record the vocals, and out comes Worship Music. What a great, great reunion album that was to bring Joey back and have that album. That's an incredible. I mean, it's, it's probably their some of their best work to date on that album. Uh, it's a modern thrash album. doesn't have a lot of thrash drumming, but Charlie's a great drummer. So it's, it's not necessarily about the thrash drumming to make it that just the songs were thrashy. It was super cool. Plus they had, you know what the hook that anthrax was known for. Plus Joey's voice was outstanding and they just gave him free reign to do whatever he needed to do. They actually went in and he, it was just him and the producer Recording the vocals, Scott wasn't involved, Charlie wasn't involved. They let Joey do his thing. What an amazing result worship music ended up being. Yeah, it's a really killer album. I I uh, I was pleasantly surprised by it because, as I've said before, I I was more of a fan of the John era of the band, and that was mostly because that was when I grew up and what I knew. Um, but I I really enjoyed worship music and the follow up for All Kings, and it's been kind of a renaissance for that band. So uh, a a good turnaround for Anthrax. Yeah, the 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 follow up to worship music was for All Kings, and that's a great great album as well. I don't think uh, song wise it's as strong, but there's a lot of good hooks on it. There's still a lot of good songs. Um, to me, it's a slightly little bit more plotting, a little slower overall. But still a very good record. I mean, people. I mean, if you're if you're into Anthrax, you're gonna like the record. Um, and so, essentially, I consider it some of the most consistent work of their career, which is really good because they've always been very eclectic and all over the place. What got them here in the first place is what I call a series of disrespectful di- business decisions. 
But the bottom line is it got them to this point and we fans are better for it. So, you know, kudos to Anthrax for being here at this point. If it wasn't for their reunion with Joey, they would probably not be around anymore. So very true. Mm hmm. All right, so moving on to the next band would be Van Halen with A Different Kind of Truth in 2012. Uh, the original lineup of, of Van Halen, uh, even though they were formed in 1972, the the you know the Van Halen we knew uh, was really formed in 1974, lasted till 1985 when David Lee Roth decided to go on a solo career. Uh, they had really been building up some tension in the band, and at that time, it just it just wasn't going to last. Even though 1984 was their hugest release, uh, this was the first studio album for Van Halen since 1998's Van Halen Three, which was kind of a bomb. Uh, so, you know, ten, uh, fifteen years about. I mean, that's that's pretty you know remarkable for a band that had been on top of the world. Um, this was kind of uh, of a bittersweet thing, though, because Michael Anthony, who had been such a vital part of the band, uh, really had been, you know, slowly disappearing since 1998. He he did not appear on many of the songs on that particular album. Uh, then in 2004, when they released uh, the the best of both worlds, their their reunion, uh, greatest hits. Co- compilation with with Sammy Hagar um he didn't appear on any of those tracks and i th- i think there was some inner turmoil um some issues going on between Michael and Eddie you know specifically and he really was getting nixed from the band and it only got worse in 2004 they didn't even want him on that tour and the only reason they agreed to it was Sammy wanted him and he had to give up some of his royalties um, he also had to basically say that whenever he went on tour in any capacity afterwards, he could not use the Van Halen name to advertise himself. So it was pretty, pretty bitter breakup between them. Um, so that, I mean, in a way that does affect the, the fans perception. And on the other hand, this was a tour for them that was more profitable and bigger than any they had done. I think the, the waiting, the, you know, the, the anxiety of the fans, uh, you know, is Van Halen ever going to do anything again? It was, it was, you know, just because the, I mean, they were one of the biggest bands in the world and they hadn't done in so, anything in so long. The album debuted at number two on the billboard 200. Um, it, I mean, it's it's huge, and it was it was also kind of interesting because this was uh, a family affair for the sure. I mean, this had Wolfgang Van Halen on his first record as well, so um, huge deal. I think it's a pretty good album. It's not amazing. It 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 does you know feature some songs that were written way back when and kind of rearranged by Wolfgang uh, to be modern songs. The highlights, even though it's divisive, I would say Tattoo is a highlight because, one, it was a single, and it's something pretty pretty interesting. Uh, people do either love it or hate it, uh, but She's the Woman is an awesome, classic Van Halen-sounding song, and I really like Bullethead. I, um, I didn't realize that... Uh, I didn't realize that Wolfie had rearranged the songs or had or was this guy who chose to bring out some of those older songs. Yeah, Wolfie was was really one of the biggest catalysts in this album even happening. 
um, he he went on to kind of prod his dad and say, we need to do something. You know, there's all this material. Let's make some songs. And he, he actually was in, heavily involved in kind of putting those songs together. That's cool. Uh, you know, I, the the really cool thing about it is that they got to work together. Um, I remember, you know, obviously fans are upset that Michael Anthony's not part of the band at that point. But Valerie Bertinelli, Eddie's ex-wife, came out and said, listen, it's either this Van Halen or no Van Halen, so what would you rather have? And she was defending the decision, but at the same time, you know, she, she felt for, she felt for Michael because she, you know, she, she knew Michael for years. Um, so she felt for him. She said, listen, you know what? I, I, I understand where your fans are coming from, but it's either this or nothing. What would you rather have? And the fact that it, it literally was a family affair with three Van Halen members, that's pretty cool. I mean, especially it is. second generation like that, you know, that's how good Wolfie is. I mean, and, and you can't, I mean, think about it now, like, especially since Eddie's passing, uh, how important that is for, for Wolfgang to have, have that time, you know, to be able to say, you know, I got to play and tour with my dad and experience that before he passed away. I mean, that's huge. To tour the world with your dad, you know, on stage, you know, being one of the biggest bands in the world, that's just so mind boggling. It is. And, and, and I think a lot of people know at this point as well is that Wolfie spent a lot of time trying to work on his dad and get the, get him to reunite with Michael. And unfortunately that never did happen, never did materialize. Um, but he, he seems to be a pretty well-rounded down to earth guy. And it's, it's really remarkable to see that night. And, I, and it's been interesting to kind of see him grow up in that way. So, um, I, I have a really good view of this album. I enjoyed it. I remember when it came out, I bought it the day it came out. I was just so excited and I wasn't disappointed. I did. I mean, I, it was, it was pretty much exactly what I expected. Um, it was, it was an old school sounding Van Halen album. It wasn't like something you would hear out of balance or, the uh, Sammy Hagar era of the band, but but it was exactly what you would hear from the David Lee Roth era. So, I thought it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was outstanding. I do like the song "Tattoo." I do like "She's a Woman." I haven't really gotten too deep into the album because it, the next song I heard was just kind of, eh, it's all right. So I, I just never really got too into it. But it, it was good to, that it came out, you know, and it got them back out there and in, in, in the public eye again. Yeah, multiple multiple tours followed, um, and then they they did their last release, which was the 2015 Tokyo Dome uh, live in concert album, which is, you know, to me it's it's hit or miss. David Lee Roth's vocals are kind of uh, rough. Rough, <laughs> I think, is a good way to put it now, uh, but still really cool to 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 know that they got to do this at the end of their career, especially before Eddie passed. Exactly. All right. So it's going to bring us to down to the last two bands we're going to talk about tonight. And these two bands, I mean, we all know and love them. So the one I'm going to talk about is Iron Maiden. And everyone kind of knows the Iron Maiden story. You know, in 1993, Bruce Dickinson left the band to pursue a solo career. And he was a little disgruntled with the direction of the band. And, you know, he just wanted to do his own thing. And he said, look, I'm leaving. Steve Harris was a little pissed. So they 
you know, they didn't speak to each other for several years. But in my opinion, Bruce Dickinson always had a tie to Iron Maiden somehow, some way. Uh, I, I, he, I believe he kept in touch with Rod Smallwood, so he was never out of their their eyesight, I guess, you know, or, or line of vision, if you want to look at it that way. But he had a good, successful solo career. Adrian Smith, at this point, had already left the band a few years earlier. He was doing his solo thing. In the middle 90s, Bruce and Adrian get back together. They record some songs. They, I believe they did two albums together or just one. Do you remember? Two, two together. It was two, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. they, I, uh, they did two albums together, Bruce and Adrian. Uh, and the final one was A Chemical Wedding before Bruce had a conversation with Stephen Harris and Rod Smallwood. And it was decided that they would get back together as a six-piece. So that included Adrian, and that also included Yannick Gers as the third guitar player. And quite honestly, I don't have a problem with it. I know you're not super hyped on the fact that they have six guys in the recording, but it doesn't bother me. I I think what ends up happening is it becomes a little bit muddy in the recording, but the music is there, and that's what's important. And also that that brotherhood of the band, and that's something that you can't take away. Because if they're not happy, then it doesn't matter. Like it, it, they're not going to put out good music if they're not happy. And they've been very happy with their career post Bruce's return. Uh, the the concert that we went to a couple years ago was amazing, and and it's it's surprising to me to say a couple of years ago at this point because it feels like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, uh, but exactly. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm so happy with their career past their return i love the early albums with bruce i love the stuff with paul diano uh you know blaze he he did what he did but i I wasn't a big fan of that period of the of the band but there's some great songs from that time period and uh, you know i it's one of those things like a lot of times when a band reforms it's not like what it is with iron maiden they've had a new life and still one of my favorite bands if not my favorite band to this day Six years. Bruce Dickinson was gone from Iron Maiden for six years. And when they reunited with Adrian and Bruce, Maiden fans went hog wild. It was just, they went insane. So they went on a, on a small tour in Europe for in support of Ed Hunter, which was the greatest hits, and there was also a video game involved. And on the second CD, they had a one-disc bonus track. Oh, excuse me, a one-song bonus track. And it was not a re-recording, but a remix with new vocals by Bruce Dickinson of the song Wrathchild. That started everything. They got back in the studio, and they ended up coming out. They, they, the, the focus for this album says, if we're going to get back together, if we're going to do this, and Bruce Dickinson had some demands of, of Steve Harris. He said, if we're going to do this, the participation is going to be different. We're going to we're going to share the duties a little bit differently than we did before. And on top of that, if we're going to go in the studio and make a new album, we need to make sure that the album is the best that we could put out. And let me tell you, Brave New World that came out in 2000 is one of the best Iron Maiden albums out there. It is outstanding. Oh, it's it's 
Uh, it's in their top tier albums for sure. Oh yeah, I mean Wicker Man, Brave New World, Ghost and Navigator, Blood Brothers, Blood Brothers, Out of the Silent Out of the Silent Planet was on that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I oh, mean yeah. it's it's a great album, you know, top to bottom. It's it's it, it fits right in with the, the the classic series of Iron Maiden albums, and they've obviously we just said we went to see them, you know, a couple years ago. They've been on top of the world ever since to this day, and what they currently do the the format that they do is they release a new album, they tour, then they go back out on tour again as a greatest hits package type tour. In some cases, it's an anniversary, and they do a release of some sort. So they've done a reissue of the Live After Death tour. So what they've been doing the last few years has been that they they record a new album, they tour on it, and then they come out with either some sort of video or a greatest hits package, and they tour on that. Or And so like recently they did um, the... The Dance of Death tour, and after the Dance of Death tour, they did a recreation of the World Slavery tour, and then after that, they did um, the a Matter of Life and Death tour. Then after that, they did the uh, recreation of the Made in England tour, and then they did Book of Souls, and then now just recently, the Legacy of the Beast in honor of the video game that they got. So, and it, it each package is is completely different, and it's super cool. I mean, this Legacy of the Beast tour is amazing. It's been going on now. It had two straight years, and then last year they didn't tour, obviously, because of of the pandemic. And they're supposed to come back this summer and finish up the dates that they had, which were some festival dates in Europe, and then release a new album. So, And I believe the new album's already been in the can for a while. I mean, I almost want to put out two albums just to cover for the time lost, you know? (laughs) But anyway, Iron Maiden outstanding you know amazing to this day one of my favorite bands one of your favorite bands they're still going good all right well that takes us to another one of our favorite bands and that would be the final band we're going to talk about tonight and that is judas priest with their night sorry with their 2005 reunion angel of retribution uh so this is 15 years after the last album with rob halford 1990s painkiller which to me is is just to, it's my favorite uh juice priest album it by far it was so brutal it was so uh much more advanced than what they were releasing before that you had turbo and uh, ram it down and then just in your face all of a sudden with painkiller you know replacing uh dave holland on drums with scott travis was just that blood in the veins that they needed and unfortunately rob was dealing with a lot of inner turmoil he 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 was dealing with being a gay man in a straight man's world is basically how he felt about it and he needed to do something uh different he wanted to do a solo project uh the studio had some disagreement over that basically said he needed to quit the band although that was just for the image and that way Whenever they were ready, he could come back, but things just didn't work out that way. Um, by the time he was ready to, to come back, they had moved on and replaced him with Tim Owens. Uh, he would be hired in 1996 and ended up recording two albums with the band uh, that were 
somewhat divisive. Uh, they didn't really have a lot of, of support in that way because the, the, the record company uh, basically moved on from Judas Priest and they had to do their own projects. Um, it just... It was a bad time for Judas Priest. It, Rob Halford had some some good hits with uh, the first Fight album. He he did a project called Two, which was really just not something that he should have done. He should have done it for himself. He was he, he's glad he did, uh, but at the same time, um, as far as fan wise, it just didn't take off and. Uh, and I'm glad it didn't because we have the metal god, you know, in in the metal in, industry instead of industrial. Um, and then he did his his resurrection album. Uh, and then what was the second one? Uh, Crucif- no. Um, Crucible? Cru- uh, no. No. Yeah, Crucible. Crucible. He did Crucible as well, which was was pretty good album as well. And then it was time to get back to Judas Priest. So they came, they finally came to terms over the years. He had been talking to uh, his former brother-in-law, which was Ian Hill. Um, he finally got it back in the room with with Glenn and and KK, uh, and and really patched things up. and And they decided it was time to put something out. And Angel of Retribution, I love it. is It is the logical follow up to Painkiller. And it's it's to me it's it's a timeless sound like it doesn't sound like it's stuck in 1990 or anything like that. It's just it's a metal album, and I was really glad that that's what they did. And it wasn't something, you know, out there and weird. And, and it just it, it if you took all those years that they were separated, and just and just said you know that that's gone, and you took Painkiller and then listened to Angel of Retribution, it would make sense. And that's what I love about it too. Oh, it, I love Painkiller. Um, the song is amazing. I mean, they play it to this day. Uh, the The album is awesome, you know, front to back, pretty much. And to jump fifteen years later and literally pick up what they left off, Angel Retribution is such a good album. Just just the way the album starts with the song Judas is Rising is it, such a, a killer way to kind of just build into it because the album just goes farther from there so it, it's a really cool album i love it yeah roy z was was involved in the album actually co-wrote one of the songs and he he was also involved with with bruce dickinson with his solo project so you hear like there's this connection with all these bands that a good one a good connection like taking these bands in the right direction of 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 the the turnaround and not making them sound dated and not making them sound like they they don't fit into the modern world and i was so happy with this album and and it's it's done wonders for judas priest too because you know when rob halford went on his own he went from being a stadium touring musician to a club guy and judas priest did the same because they didn't have rob halford and when they got back together, all of a sudden their career took back off again. It, they're not quite as big, I would say, as Iron Maiden in that that regard, but they've been able to tour stadiums and and you know really get back on track, release some great albums. The new albums with Richie Faulkner have been really good. I especially the last one, Firepower, and I know they're planning to release another album for their fiftieth anniversary, which is just crazy to say. So. <laughs> yeah. The the band has has uh, you know had some ups and downs, but 
Uh, I think, you know, that brotherhood, that that being able to put things aside and and, you know, grow and learn from it have have made them only greater. So, uh, you know, keep for these guys, like especially Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, ones that have been around just so long. You know, it's it's so cool to hear them just kind of keep rocking and keep doing what they're doing. Absolutely. I mean, I saw them a few years ago on the firepower, the firepower tour and it, it, they're still kicking and they're still doing great. I mean, Rob Halford's voice, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's abused it over the years because he's such a good singer, but it's still in his main register. It is still such a powerful voice. And when he needs it, he'll pull out a good scream from time to time. And it's funny, his, his weaker voice is still better than 90% of the other people out there. Exactly. So it, it's great to see that Judas Priest is, is still is still kicking. So I look forward to their new album, and I look forward to hopefully seeing them one last time. All right, so we're we're almost at the end of this segment here, and I just wanted to lay out a few, a few not honorable mentions, but just mention a few of the bands that we did not list tonight. But some of the reunion albums that have been out there, except with Objection Overruled, uh, Armored Saint reunited in in 2000 with the album Revelation, which is a very good album. Uh, Creed, you know, alternative hard rock metal band uh, reunited uh, with an album called Full Circle in 2009. The glam metal band Extreme with Saudades de Rock in 2008. The Haunted, we spoke about them earlier uh, with, uh, not earlier in the episode, but earlier episodes uh, with their Reunion with their first singer, uh, Revolver, in 2004. Soundgarden got back together in 2012 and released King Animal. And Metal Church reunited with Mike Howe in 2016 with their album, Eleven. So that is some reunion albums to to pick up and give a chance to listen to or just stream it on Spotify or Google Play or whatever it is that you listen to so that you can, or what is it, YouTube Music now. Or on even on mm-hmm. iTunes, so yeah. So give those, give all these albums a listen, people, because this is really cool stuff. Some of them, not so much, but you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and some of these other ones are pretty cool. Absolutely. All right. So now that brings us to the Big Four, and the Big Four is the Big Four reunion albums. What we think were the best ones out of all these reunion albums that we just talked about, or are out there. Um, I think I went first last time, so I think it's your turn to go first this time. All right, so for my number four is one you just mentioned, and that's Revolver by The Haunted. Uh, for me, it was it was a huge release. I mean, I really liked the Marco Aro years uh, prior to this, uh, I, but I was I was so shocked when when the, there was the change the first time. I mean, I really liked that first album. I was I was a huge fan. I listened to it constantly, and I had no idea that they had made the change. Whenever the second album came out, I picked it up, and I was like, "What's going on? The vocals are so different." And um, but I but I really enjoyed it. The 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 two albums that followed made made me do it, and One Kill Wonder were great. Uh, but then when I heard that they were getting back together with Peter Dolving, I was just so excited. And when Revolver came out, I was not disappointed. I I, I just love this album. It's it's so strong from beginning to end. And uh, I just I, for me, it, it's it's one of those that's gonna stick with me forever. Even though the band, you know, went in a very different direction, but uh, you know, I'm I I'll always love this album. Uh, for number three, I've got In the Shadows by Merciful Fate. Uh, again, I they're they're such a, a decisively um, 
sh- sh- you know sure of themselves band and every every project they put out i i've enjoyed i i i've loved every album uh and I wasn't a big fan for the longest time. Uh, you really got me into them with, with Melissa. I hadn't heard it until a couple of years ago. And from there, it just like, I went through the whole Genesis of the band listening from their beginnings to, you know, the breakup, the, the King diamond stuff, and then getting, you know, back into the merciful fate, uh, albums afterwards. And, and I've just really enjoyed them. It, it, you know, sometimes you may not be in on the the initial releases, etc., but uh, you can definitely enjoy the journey that the band goes through. So definitely pick this one up. Uh, for my number two, I've got Angel of Retribution. Like I said, Painkiller is my favorite Judas Priest album. Uh, this was this was not an album to disappoint. I I I love it so much. And I was so glad that they're back with with Rob Halford. Even though I do like, personally, I do like the stuff that they did with with Tim Ripper Owens. I think he's a great singer. I've actually seen him multiple times with different bands. I saw him with Igwe Malmsteen, and I saw him solo by complete chance. I went to a a, a bar with a friend to see um, just whatever show was playing that night. I think actually, no, we were going to see Rusty Cooley uh, play with his band. And by chance, Tim Ripper Owens happened to be there. And I got to fist bump him and talk to him for a couple minutes, which was kind of cool. Um, but um, it, it, it was a very good show. And uh, But regardless, Angel of Retribution, um, it, it was so nice to hear the band return to form get back to their their roots you know become brothers again after you know something so dark in their history and and for rob to also know that it didn't matter whether he's gay straight whatever it didn't matter he was he was a brother so great album and great story behind it and then for my number one i gotta pick brave new world iron maiden um such a killer album when i when i first picked it up the 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 day it came out um i i was blown away because you know i i had loved the early early stuff i i was not a fan of blaze um but my friend told me you got to buy it you, i mean you you got to pick up the album so i did and mind blown the songs are so good it, it's a, it's a new life for Iron Maiden. It's only made them one of the biggest, if not the biggest, metal band in the world, uh, worldwide. Um, I mean that obviously that's dis, uh, disputable with Metallica, but but Iron Maiden is everywhere, and they they're huge across the world. I just f- freaking love this album, and it, and if you haven't given given it a chance because you're one of those guys that says, you know, like Iron Maiden doesn't exist past Paul Diano or, you know, only the first albums before the breakup are, are relevant. You're wrong. Listen to Brave New World. Oh, absolutely. Brave New World is, is uh, if you if you haven't listened to Maiden since the reunion, you've missed out on a lot. All right. Um, all right. So my, my big four are a little more mainstream than yours. 
<laughs> or at least <laughs> at least half of it is. Um, and that's not to say anything that I don't like the, some of the albums that you chose because I like a lot of these albums. Uh, and the, the ones that we spoke about specifically tonight were chosen for a reason. One, because they were so bad and two, because they were really good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my number four is Deep Purple with Perfect Strangers. I chose them specifically because in in a in a weird way they started the whole phase of reu- reuniting i remember as a kid just reading interview after interview you know hopefully one day the band will reunite and blah 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 and it's, it's and in 1984 they finally did it and it was huge for them i mean it was the, one of the biggest things between 84 85 and 86 and it, it was just something else to 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 witness i guess to some i mean i never saw them in concert but just to witness everything around them the spectacle that was surrounding the whole reunion and how much people really loved it it was crazy you know and and that basically started the whole thing because by the by the 90s with all these bands going haywire because their music was no longer accepted you know in the mid 90s they started coming back together and you know so it was all there but yeah, that's why I put Deep Purple and the songs Perfect Strangers and Knocking on Your Back Door. Those are two really cool, classic Deep Purple style songs. So number three for me is Judas Priest's Angel of Retribution. You you said pretty much everything there is to say about it. Um, Rob Halford basically found himself again. And that's the one thing I love about Rob. And you said it too. You know, the, some of the stories that he tells, especially with the solo stuff, like specifically with resurrection that is the that is the story of rob halford's life all in one song and 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 you know the the time in priest to leaving priest to doing what he had to do in in his solo career between fight and two and then halford getting that song being the first song on the halford album was amazing and it led to angel of retribution and it was good that there was that that connection with Roy Z producing it to kind of basically make it full circle again and, and help push Rob in that direction. So that that's a great album. I love it. Number two, Anthrax with worship music. I mean, hands down the best thing that Anthrax has put out since I would say it's better than we come for you all because as a whole, it's, it's, it's the classic Anthrax music sound. I guess you could say, you know, songwriting best of all best thing they put out since among the living so that that tells you how good that album is um and then number one i agree with you iron maiden brave new world hands down best reunion album and best reunion of any of these bands because they have been on top of the world ever since you know and it's funny because rod smallwood to this day still says i'm still trying to figure out how to be better than acdc <laughs> so that's funny all right well that brings us to the end of the episode remember if you liked what we had to say today be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment make sure to tune in next week when we spark up another exciting metal debate on behalf of kenneth and myself stay safe and remember always turn it up to 11 see ya <laughs>